this is our third week on this series in the book of Colossians. Last week, we were discussing the preeminence of Christ, how Jesus is, is preeminent in being the one who created the entire universe. He created all things. And not only was he preeminent in that, he was also preeminent in being the firstborn from the dead. He, he was the one who was raised from the dead as well so that we can experience forgiveness and newness of life. And Paul told us that this is the gospel. This is such a great gospel. And we will experience this forgiveness of God if we do not shift from the hope of the gospel. So he talked a lot about Jesus, how lofty our Jesus is, the creator of the universe, the preeminent God who also died on the cross for our sins. He talked about everything that Jesus had done. And now, this week, in these six verses, the focus shifts somewhat to Paul. And, and by extension, it also shifts to us. And, and I'll, I'll describe what I mean by that in a moment. But uh, let's look here at these verses. It says, now Paul's writing, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. Now, let me stop there for a moment, and there are several things in this passage, very, very interesting things that we want to talk about today. The first one that I want to touch upon here briefly is this concept of mystery. So here, uh, Paul says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is this mystery that Paul is talking about? This mystery is none other than the fact that the message of the gospel, who can be a part of the kingdom of God, is not exclusive to Jews. It's not exclusive to those um, whom we might call messianic believers, Jews who follow Jesus, but that the message of the gospel is also for the Gentiles. It's for people, um, Romans and, and barbarians and Scythians and, and people in Asia and other parts of Africa. It's for people all over the world. Paul says that this is the mystery. This is the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. In you, Colossians. In you, people here in America. Unless you are a Messianic Jew, then this doesn't reply, apply to you. But here, when he says Christ in you, he's saying to you Colossians. These Colossians were Gentiles. They were not Jewish believers. To you, this is a mystery, how Christ can be in you, how he can dwell in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You who did not 
keep the Mosaic law. You didn't have the Ten Commandments. You didn't have the temple and the sacrificial system and all of these things. But the gospel is also for you. This was a mystery because even throughout the entire Old Testament time, this was talked about. The prophets prophesied about this, but people didn't really get it. Gentiles? No, no way. No way God could really include them amongst his people. And this is why the church, even the church in the beginning, when the gospel began to go to the Samaritans and then it went to the Greeks, they had such a difficult time with this because they thought the message was just for the Jewish believers. Paul said in Ephesians 3, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, there's that word again, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was something that took a long time for the Jewish believers to understand. But eventually, through the help of the Holy Spirit, they came to understand that the Gentiles could also be of the people of God. That's the first thing. Now, let me go back here to verse 24, where Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, we have to stop there. We cannot move on until we unpack and talk about what is happening in this verse. Because it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. When Paul says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been in church for a while, if you hear that, it sounds like something straight-up heretical. What do you mean, Paul? What could be lacking in Christ's afflictions? And when we hear Christ's afflictions, we think about his cross, right? His suffering and his death upon the cross, the atonement that he secured dying upon the cross for the sins of everybody who would believe in him. What could possibly be lacking from that? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, and right before he died, what did he say? It is finished. He didn't say, it's 99% done. Now there's 1% left. Now you, guys, you got to go and finish the job now. You got to go earn the rest of your salvation. You got to go out there and you have to earn your righteousness by, by being good, by sacrificing, by being a good Christian. And if you don't, that atonement is insufficient for you. What I did on the cross is not enough for you. You also have to play a part in achieving and securing the forgiveness of God. Is that what Paul's saying? It can't be. That would go against so much Scripture. That would contradict so much other Scripture that is out there. So what does Paul mean then when he says, I, I am making up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions, his sufferings. Well, one of my favorite pastor theologians, John Piper, made an excellent 
connection that I think drives at the heart of this. Um, I want to point out here, he pointed out in Philippians chapter 2, verse 30, this verse. Paul is writing in a separate letter to the church in Philippi. And what does he say to them? He says, for he, and he's talking about somebody from the Philippian church named Epaphroditus. He says, for he, Epaphroditus, nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, what is, what is happening here? What was happening in that instance? Um, the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to Paul to meet his needs in some way. We don't exactly know what those needs were. It could have been more financial support. It could have been medicine. It could have been just Paul needed somebody to come alongside him and help him in the gospel ministry and in evangelism or teaching or something or another. Whatever it was, Epaphroditus was sent from the Philippian church over to support Paul. Now, notice in this verse how similar it is to Colossians 1 verse 24, the verse that we read. In Philippians, it says, he risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. In Colossians, Paul said, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, you can't see it as clearly there, but the word complete in Philippians 2 over here and the word filling up in Colossians 1 are the same exact word in Greek. It's the same word. And the word here, lacking in Philippians 2, and the word lacking in Colossians 1 is also the same exact word. This sentence structure is eerily similar. We can use the same words. Epaphroditus, he risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service. And in my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So we get a sense, we get a clue here as to what is going on. So what is happening here? What can we learn from Philippians that can help us to understand Colossians chapter 1? I think there are two things we can see here in this pattern. The first is this. The first is the issue of representation. So Epaphroditus is representing the Philippian church to Paul. Now, for whatever reason, the, the Philippian church couldn't go down to Paul, and, and that's probably pretty obvious, right? You can't send the whole church down. That would be really expensive of a journey. Um, there are lots of responsibilities back in Philippi. They're doing their ministry too. People have jobs. People need to take care of their families. People are doing ministry out there, sharing the gospel, doing all sorts of things there. The whole church wasn't able to go, so they sent Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus went and he represented the Philippians to Paul. What the Philippians could not do, he came to complete. He came to fill up in his service to Paul. Now, that, that's really, really important because I think in Colossians, this is what Paul is saying we do as well. We represent Jesus to the world. Just as Epaphroditus represented the Philippians, and did what they couldn't do, we represent Jesus to this world, not because he can't, but because that was his design. Because he is now 
at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, and he told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we go out now as representatives of Jesus to this world to minister to this world. We, we see this pattern also in Colossians chapter 1. Now, if you remember last week when we looked at verse 22, what did Paul say about Jesus, his preeminent ministry, and how he died upon the cross? He said he reconciled in his body, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Jesus died upon the cross. Why? So that he can stand before God, the Father, and say, Father, look, I present to you your children without spot or wrinkle, without blemish, completely holy, because my blood shed upon the cross has washed away their sins, and now there is no condemnation upon them. They're completely holy in your sight. Jesus, through what he did, can present us holy before God. And now Paul uses similar language in verse 28. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So you see what's going on here is there is a sense of continuity. Jesus did his work upon the cross to present us holy and blameless before the Father. Now we continue his work as his representatives so that we can present others in this world as well before God mature in Christ. So that we go and we proclaim the message of the gospel. We teach people about the gospel, about how to follow God, so that people can become mature, be presented as mature before God. We continue this work of Jesus. The preeminent Lord died upon the cross to present us holy and blameless. And now we, the church, in his place, as his representatives, continue that work, presenting everyone mature in Christ. We continue the work of Jesus. That's the first thing that it means. Now, the second thing here that we can see in this parallel from Philippians and Colossians is the idea of suffering. Not the idea, the reality of suffering. It says that Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ. He got very ill. We don't know what happened, but stuff happened 2,000 years ago. Stuff happens today, but 2,000 years ago, I don't know if he got malaria or dysentery or some other disease in his travels to be, to be able to go and help Paul, but Epaphroditus nearly died. He suffered greatly. And now, Paul here in Colossians 1 also says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Suffering is a part of this parallel as well. And we can see also in verse 22 earlier, Jesus also suffered. He reconciled in his body of flesh, in his body, by his death. Jesus suffered as well. Brothers and sisters, friends, the other aspect of this is that not only are we as Christians called to represent Jesus to this world, but that representation will always involve suffering. And we cannot get away from that. Paul says that his ministry 
is filling up in his flesh what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Paul is saying, Jesus suffered for us, and as we continue his work, as we continue representing him, there will be suffering for us as well. Suffering is part and parcel with representing Jesus. Now, friends, brothers and sisters, this is so important for us to understand as Christians living in the 21st century, living in America, the most wealthy and powerful nation in the world, living in the Bay Area, in this beautiful place, surrounded by so much wealth and surrounded with so much privilege. We need to know this, that representing Jesus means we need to suffer. They go hand in hand. And if we don't understand that, we will swiftly, in the face of suffering, be knocked off the road of following Jesus. It will happen, and it will happen quickly. Let me share with you a few verses to drive this home, because the scriptures make this abundantly clear. Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, anyone, if anyone, not, not most people, not, not tons of people, anyone, Every single person, if any single person wants to follow me, to be my disciple, let him deny himself, say no to himself, and take up his cross, an instrument of torture and death, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple... If you want to follow after me, the road that I walk is one in which you constantly are saying no to yourself, denying yourself, denying the desires of your flesh and the temptations of this world. And it's one where you have to take up your cross, not just wear a cross around your neck. I have nothing against that. That's pretty. That's nice. It's a reminder that we're Christians. But carrying your cross, it means the willingness to suffer. Because being his disciple means following a God who suffered for us. Paul said to Timothy, indeed, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everybody, every single person, if your goal is to live a godly life, sooner or later, you will be persecuted. And if you're trying to live a godly life, I'm sure you've already been persecuted. But if you desire to live a godly life, it's part and parcel. You cannot avoid persecution. It is part of what it means to be a Christian. This is why Peter said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter is saying, don't be surprised at the fiery, the burning, burning trial that comes upon you. The persecution and the suffering, when it comes upon you, don't be surprised by that. Because that's what Jesus experienced. That's what all disciples of Christ experienced. 
In fact, if we are living a life and we claim to be Christians and there is no fiery trial, there is no persecution, there is no suffering, the, the, the natural question that we need to ask when we read these verses is, is there something strange in my life when there isn't suffering? That's the question. Now, I would say the answer to that is probably yes, based on these scriptures that we're reading. Because he says, everybody who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Peter says, don't think it's weird when you, when you lose out financially, when you lose out in your job, when you are persecuted and reviled and mocked, don't be surprised like something weird is happening. No, this is very, very normal. In fact, if your life is just coasting and easy and you never need to sacrifice for the name of Jesus, that's when you should actually say, am I walking on the same road as Jesus? Is there something strange about my life? Because these things the scripture is talking about are not happening in my life. Brothers and sisters, I'm not saying like we are to be masochists and go out and, and, and look for pain or put a sign on our chest that says, come on, demon, come at me, bro. Like that, that's, that's not the point here. I've known people who've said that their goal in life is to go to the mission field and die for Jesus like, I commend them, that's awesome, but I don't want to die for Jesus, but I hope that when the time comes, if that is call, his call upon my life, I won't find it strange that I'm in the midst of that fiery trial. This is what the Bible is saying. This is something very, very normal. The author of Hebrews said, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Man, when I read that, I'm like, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? I, I certainly have not yet resisted to the point of shedding my blood. Most of us as Christians probably have not yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood. But Paul says, look, I, the author of Hebrews says, look, you have not even bled yet for the name of Jesus. Friends, this is something that is so important for us to understand because this is so difficult of a concept for us to really grasp and own in American Christianity. It is so hard for us. Again, living in such a wealthy, powerful country with the American dream and the opportunities that so many of us are afforded. This is such a difficult message for us to receive. It is so counterintuitive. For us, suffering for Jesus means, yeah, you know, maybe I go on a mission trip to a de developing part of the world every couple of years and, you know, I'll go shower and it, with buckets and stuff and there's no running water and there's mosquitoes and it's hot and, and we come back and we say, oh, I suffered for you, Jesus. But it's for a week or two and then we come back in to our American Christian 
bubble. And because this is such a difficult concept for us, no wonder when suffering and persecution come, so many Christians abandon the faith, walk away from Jesus, drop the cross, and no longer follow after him. Friends, brothers and sisters, if we are going to make it to the end, and Paul calls the Christian life a race that we need to run, if we are going to make it to the end, we need to understand that suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life. If your, if your main idea, if what draws you to church, if your primary thing is to make friends, brothers and sisters, you're not going to make it when the going gets rough. Now, I, 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 I hope all of you will make friends here. I want you to make friends. I want you to make wonderful, lifelong friends in the church that is a part of being a part of the church. And I, I sincerely hope that you can experience that. But if that's all that church is to you, when persecution comes and suffering comes, you will find it very, very difficult. If you come to church primarily out of religious obligation, because it's something that you've done for most of your life, and, you know, my parents made me go to church, and so I guess I should continue doing that, and it's a religious duty and obligation that I have, then when the going gets tough, you're going to find yourself very, very challenged. Most of us would, un would, would say that the prosperity gospel is something that is wrong, but the prosperity gospel that says that Christianity, if you follow Jesus, he will make you wealthy, he will take away all the pain in your life, he will give you perfect health. Most of us would acknowledge that that's not true, that that's not what the Bible says, but we passively believe the inverse of that. What do I mean by that? When suffering and when struggle comes into our life, when things don't turn out the way that we expect them to, when we experience spiritual warfare coming to our lives, we think, what is wrong with my life? We say, Jesus, don't you love me? Why are you letting these things happen to me? Why are you letting me experience this pain and this sickness and this brokenness and this financial difficulty in my life? Why are these things happening to me? We don't believe the prosperity gospel, but we believe the inverse of it. And all it takes is some pain for us to question God. Brothers and sisters, whether we take the gospel across the ocean to a people who do not know Jesus, or we take the gospel across the hallway to our coworker, or across the street to a neighbor, there will be suffering that is involved in that. That is a part of following Jesus on the road and taking up the cross. Now, Paul says uh, something very surprising here. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Well, what kind of person would rejoice in their sufferings? Was Paul a masochist? Who would do that? Who would, would be joyful? Who would give thanks and rejoice when they experience suffering? Well, why did Paul say that? 
I want to conclude with this. Three things here. Three reasons to rejoice in suffering. Why did Paul rejoice? The first one is this. It gave Paul a sense of purpose in his life. Paul knew that when he was toiling for Jesus, that when he was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and left for dead and he went hungry and he had sleepless nights, he knew that all of those things that he was doing were a part of the plan and the purpose of God, that the preeminent God died to present us holy and now he could be a part of God's work to pre present others mature in Christ. And because of that, he said it's worth it. He rejoiced in being a part of God's plan for the world. And I'll say, brothers and sisters, that is a tremendous reason to rejoice. When you know that you are living a life that counts. And that you are part of God's plan for this world. Look at um, here in Acts 5. It says that when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Why were the apostles rejoicing after receiving a beating? Because they saw their work and what they were doing in continuity with Jesus. They were rejoicing. We got to be beaten. Why? Why were we beaten? Because we were continuing the work of Jesus, and they rejoiced in that. Jesus suffered upon the cross, and we suffered as well, proclaiming his name. They rejoiced in that because they saw that their lives were part of the bigger picture of what God was doing in the world. The second reason Paul could rejoice was because of reward. We saw earlier in Colossians chapter 1 that Paul talked about this hope that was laid up in heaven. That there is this eternal reward that God will give to all of those who are willing to follow him and suffer for him in the name of Jesus. At that last day when we stand before God, everything that we have gone through will have been worth it. And suffering for Jesus will have been a privilege. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, you know, when other people mock you and they say, how in the world in this modern day and age, can you believe in the Bible? Are you a serious, rational, logical, scientific, modern person? How can you believe in those myths and those stories? How can, you, how, can you, how can you possibly think that? That when we experience that kind of persecution, Jesus says rejoice. Rejoice and be glad because it means that your reward in heaven is increasing because it means that you are willing to sacrifice for the sake of Jesus and follow him in the face of persecution. Lastly here, I want to invite the worship team up at this time. Intimacy. 
Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul also could rejoice in suffering because he understood that there was something that he could experience, an intimacy with Jesus, Jesus, a closeness with Jesus that was not possible unless he suffered because Jesus suffered as well. That when he was beaten, when he was mocked, when he was spat upon, something happened where he, he came to understand Jesus, is this what it was like when you were spat upon, when you were beaten, when you were mocked, and when you were scourged? There was a closeness that he experienced. When the Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted, there's a closeness that we experience when we are willing to take up our cross and follow after Jesus upon that road. Friends, you know, in, in history, in so many places around the world, people live in fear. They live in fear oftentimes of some autocratic dictator who oppresses them, takes away their freedoms, and, and they know that if they, if they stand up against that, if they decide to live differently, if they want to pursue their freedoms, that it could cost them their lives. It could cost them so much that there could be suffering for them and their families. So people continue to live under repression and fear. But we've seen in history time and again where it takes, what it takes is somebody who is willing to count the cost and says, I, I understand that this is going to be painful. I understand that there's going to be suffering and persecution, but I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to experience freedom. And not just for me, but for those around me. And somebody stands up and, and they begin to pay the price, but then others see that and others stand up as well. And they begin to pay the price as well. But then what comes is revolution out of that. The fear barrier being broken, but it only comes when they begin to count the cost, when they say, it's worth it. It's worth it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what Paul is telling us is that it is so worth it. Following Jesus, there will be pain and suffering, but it is so worth it to be a part of what he's doing. It is a privilege to be able to participate in the Great Commission and present others before God mature in Christ. If we want to follow Jesus, there is no other road where we will find him except the road of the cross. I want to invite you this morning. Could we consider the road that we're work, walking on? Have we counted the cost? Are we willing to follow Jesus? Can we stand together as we move into a time of response and a time of worship? You know, I just, I'll be the first to confess to you there's a lot of fear in my heart as well when it comes to representing Jesus. Especially in a place like the Bay Area. In a place where Christianity can be viewed down upon, looked down upon. If you're into the Enneagram, I'm a type 3. I'll out myself. I really care a lot about what people think about me. And so I, I don't like being mocked or thought of as 
being old-fashioned or out of step with modern times because I believe in something like the Bible. That's hard for me. This is what God has called us to. And I want to invite us this morning, all of you, if we can, as the author of Hebrews says, fix our eyes upon Jesus. This incredible salvation that he has won for us through suffering, through his death upon the cross. And he says that if you want to follow after me, if you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross. And it's the same road that you have to walk down. Anybody who wants to give, live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters. Could we this morning come and, and just experience, can we come and let there be a reckoning of our hearts right now. Let there be a reckoning. Maybe even a confession to God that says, God, yeah, you know, I, I kind of, for me, I, I want to come to church. I want to be a Christian, but I haven't really thought through all of this. And, and if the going gets rough, I don't know if I'd be willing to follow you. I don't know if I want to live that type of Christian life. I'd rather kind of hide my faith. I'd rather not need to share the gospel. I'd rather just keep what I believe to myself. If that's you, I want to invite you this morning. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, who through the afflictions that he experienced in his flesh, secured for us freedom from sin and salvation. How great a salvation we have received from our God. Can we come right now and just, just begin to pray? I want to invite you into a time of prayer right now to the Lord. Maybe your prayer is, God, help me. Help me to be willing to take up my cross. Maybe your prayer is, God, yeah, I, I have not really embraced this understanding of what it means to be a disciple. I've embraced an American Christianity, a, 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 a just bubble type of prosperity and comfort. Lord, help me to embrace the Christianity of the Bible, to truly be willing to follow after you and take up my cross. Can we come and, and just begin to pray before the Lord and ask God, Lord, help me to be able to rejoice in my sufferings, to see the afflictions in my flesh as something that is a source of rejoicing for me. Can we pray? Can we just begin to pray and say, God, Lord, would you, would you purify our church, God? Would you purify our church so that we would stand and that we would continue to follow after you no matter what may come, no matter what we may experience? Let's come and let's pray. Let's bring our hearts before God this morning. Let's do that right now. Lord God, we pray, Lord, let your Holy Spirit come. Oh, let your Holy Spirit come, God. Lord, Lord God, we pray against fear. God, we pray that you remove fear from our hearts, oh God. Lord God, we pray that you would fill our hearts, Lord God, with awe at what you have done, what you have done upon the cross for us, oh God, so that, Lord, we would be willing to take up our cross and follow after you, God, that we would rejoice, that we would rejoice, God, in, in filling up in our flesh what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. God, that we would rejoice in 
continuing on with your work, representing you, no matter the cost, in the Bay Area, representing you in our companies, representing you to our neighbors and to our friends, representing you to those around us, God, knowing that this world is not our home. This world is not our home, God. God, open our eyes, God, to the heavenly reward. Open our eyes, God, to the hope that is laid up in heaven, oh, Lord. Oh, God, open our eyes, we pray, oh, God. Just, uh, we pray, Lord, forgive us in ways in which we have believed that being a Christian simply means receiving forgiveness. Just means receiving forgiveness. Thank you for what you did on the cross for us, and that's it. Lord, help us fill our hearts with that passion to desire to walk after you, Lord God. Lord, to be able to see that our lives are about so much more than simply a nice house and a nice car and living a comfortable life and seeing our kids go to the best schools and them having a nice house and a nice car and living a comfortable life, but that we are a part of a unique moment in history where we have an opportunity to represent you to the Bay Area. We have an opportunity to represent you in the companies that you have placed us in and in the neighborhoods in which we live and amongst the friend circles that we have. We have an opportunity to represent you, Jesus, that is unique, that will not come again. And God, may we count the cost to be your hands and feet, to be your ambassadors amongst these lost and broken amongst those who do not know you, God. May we be willing to count the cost in order to follow you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us right now with boldness, God. Boldness, God, to break fear in our lives. To break fear in our lives, Lord God. And not just to overcome it with brute force, but to see something better to see something so worth it, to see heaven, to see the hope laid us for, up for us in heaven, oh God. Open our eyes, God, to be able to see that, Lord God. Brothers and sisters, can we just pray right now and say, Lord, would you break fear? Break fear in me. Break fear in me. If that's you, can we just pray? Pray for that. Pray for your heart. God, break that fear in me. Open my eyes to see the preeminent God of the universe, Lord God.
our community, God. Lord, would you, um, would you strengthen us? Would you truly prepare us? Would you disciple us and help us to grow in our understanding of what it means to follow you, Lord, so that we can be a church that faithfully proclaims the message of the gospel in the Bay Area, faithfully, no matter what may come, in the face of persecution, Lord God, in the face of, 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 of difficulty and struggle, that we would be faithful to you because of the joy that you have set before us, God. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you. You are such a good God. You are so worthy. Let us worship the Lord right now, brothers and sisters. Let us give him our whole heart because he has died upon the cross for us, for us. He suffered in his flesh for us. So let us worship him with all of our heart right now. Let's do that, brothers and sisters. You know, before we, we close, uh, I just uh, I just feel like we, I want to take this opportunity, this moment, to make this message more solid and concrete for you. I feel like there are some of you here that there's something God is putting on your heart to take a step of faith for Him, to put yourself on the line for Jesus. And, and I just want to give you an opportunity to make that concrete before Him, to present that to Him. And that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean dying on the mission field. And if that is what God is calling you to do, that's, that, praise the Lord. But it could be as simple as, you know, not laughing at jokes that you used to laugh at with your coworkers because you feel like they're not um, appropriate in terms of God's teaching. It might mean being more open, maybe even hiding in some ways that you go to church or that you believe certain things about the scriptures. It, it might be taking that step to share your faith with somebody, to, to say, hey, can we go out for lunch and share the faith with somebody? I feel like there are many of you that God is, is there's something, there's a way for you to make this more concrete. And if that's you, I want to take a moment right now could you just come before the Lord? Can you bring that before Him right now and say, God, I, I, want to, I want to take a step on the road after you. I want to follow after you in being open, in being the light, in being unashamed of the gospel, no matter what may come. Could you just take a moment right now and could you just present that before the Lord. Take a moment just to tell Him what that is, what you're committing to do, and ask Him for the strength to help you to be able to do that. Just take a moment right now, bring your heart before God. beckon us on the road to follow after you, God. Lord, may you give strength and power to the paralyzed feet, to the paralyzed feet, that we may take a step, that we may take a step towards you as we bring these offerings before you, God, to help us to walk after you, God. Would you give us power? Would you give us courage and boldness 
through the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to begin to take up our cross and to follow after you. I pray, Lord, for everyone here, that as they do so, that as we do so, God, that we would begin to experience a, a, a revolution, a breakthrough, and, and, and empowering a confidence that grows because as we take steps of obedience, you meet us there. You don't leave us hanging. You don't leave us out to dry, but your spirit comes and meets us in that faith to empower us and it grows and we become more bold and we become more open about this God that we follow, that truly he is the hope of the world because this world so desperately needs Christians who are bold and courageous put their trust in the Lord. Thank you, God.